Welcome to the Art of Humanity. I'm your host, Jessica Ann. This is my podcast where you can listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and your favorite entrepreneurs. You can explore creativity and consciousness, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to episode 68 of The Art of Humanity. Thank you so much for joining me for this very special episode. And I sincerely hope that my voice, this episode, whatever time and place that you may be listening to this very special interview, that you are surrounded by health, by wealth, by good people, joy, gratitude, love. It's been an epic journey for everybody these days. So I am sending you so much compassion, so much love. Every week feels like an entire year, yet the world is moving, spinning madly on. Everything's going by so fast. And I can only attribute this to the huge shift taking place in our human consciousness. We're no longer letting the linear, trapped, limited systems of yesterday get the better of us because we are expansive. I love this quote by Adi Ashanti. He has said, enlightenment is a destructive process. It has nothing to do with becoming better or being happier. Enlightenment is the crumbling away of untruth. It's seeing through the facade of pretense. It's the complete eradication of everything we imagined to be true. And whatever you want to call it, the awakening or enlightenment process, it doesn't just happen once and bam, it's over. (laughs) it's more of an endless flow of new levels of awareness. This may or may not cause you to endlessly question everything that you've been taught, everything that's attached to your identity. So let's take a deep breath and breathe that in. How does that feel? The beauty of this perspective is that we're all walking each other home, as Ram Dass has said. We're buzzing with different perspectives, frequencies, and experiences and bridging the gap for others. When we let go of right and wrong, black and white, we can make decisions with deep consideration and contemplation. We can listen to our bodies. We can explore our inner knowing. And then we can also tap into a higher wisdom. We don't have to rush into making decisions, despite what the fake media wants us to believe. We can have faith in the energy of life and death We can transcend beyond the myopic perspectives of our minds. It's a triggering energy, especially if you're clinging on to yesterday. So I invite you to ask yourself, are you defending an old paradigm that's breaking down? Where may you be clinging? If you study or explore epigenetics, you'll understand the trippiness of the fact that we can literally evolve our genes merely through words, through language, which communicate beliefs. As I fuse the worlds of spirituality, philosophy, psychology, and the school of hard knocks through my inner knowing, I follow my intuition. Intuition allows us to pierce through the static, to reveal the disillusionments in our quest for deeper meanings. Which brings me to a word I've been contemplating, disclosure. This word disclosure is defined as the act of making something known such as information that's made known or revealed. And just like Adi Ashanti says that enlightenment is a destructive process, 
so is the concept of disclosure because it doesn't come from a big press release or announcement from the mainstream slash lamestream media. It comes from our ability to see it, to feel it, experience, to pierce the reality with a new perspective through embodiment work, through shadow work, addressing our trauma. Now, if this is too radical of an idea for you, I get it. It's not for everyone. These beliefs and ideas and guests on my show are sometimes triggering. If you do feel triggered or uncomfortable by the conversation that is shared here, please just take a deep breath and honor what's coming through you. My intention here on The Art of Humanity is to share my personal human insights with purity through experiential living, through contemplation and connection. And when I find guests who are elevating the conversations in their industry, I feel it's in my dharma to bring them on my show. Which brings me to today's guest. She is on the front lines of the very controversial world of health and medicine. She does this not because she's a philanthropist, but because she cannot not speak up. As she explains in this interview, we are living in black and white psychology today. The primitive thought process that served us at one point while we were navigating our survival on this plane no longer works today. I love this interview because in her formal education, she was trained to dismiss alternative medicine as quackery. But now she has the experience of inhabiting the other pole, which as we talk about in this interview, is nearly impossible to do without addressing your childhood trauma. In this interview, I talk with holistic women's health psychiatrist, Dr. Kelly Brogan, who explains why we don't have to be medicating our mental, emotional, and physical pain away, and why the best way out is through our trauma. And by the way, we all have trauma, whether we realize it or not. Dr. Kelly Brogan helps people decode the myths and misconceptions of the current healthcare system so they can lead a healthy, vital life. She's board certified in psychiatry, psychosomatic medicine, and integrative holistic medicine, and specializes in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. In this interview, we discuss why activism without shadow work isn't activism. It's the perpetuation of that which you are fighting. Whew, allow that to sink in for a second. Why trauma work allows us to create a better, more just world. How to come into contact with all parts of yourself. The importance of normalizing, changing our opinions. The importance of emotional alchemy. Intimacy with pain and rage. And how to respond from a witness consciousness. The importance of mastering our emotions and working with creating space for them to alchemize and to evolve. And the remembering of things from a supposed previous existence. What she shares here in this episode may ignite a spark deep within you. If you like this podcast, I'd so appreciate a five-star review on Apple. It only takes a few seconds. So if you could go on over right now to Apple and leave a review, I would love that. And I may even give you a shout out in my next episode. Here's my interview with Dr. Kelly Brogan. To get all the links and show notes from this episode, please go to artofhumanity.io slash episodes. Please note that this interview was recorded back in August of 2020 and the internet cut out in the middle of our interview, which is why this is a bit on the short side. Let's go to the show. Welcome to The Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Today, I'm so excited to have with me Dr. Kelly Brogan. 
Dr. Kelly Brogan is a holistic psychiatrist, author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Mind of Your Own, Own Yourself, the children's book, A Time for Rain, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She is the founder of the online healing program, Vital Mind Reset, and the membership community, Vital Life Project. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College and has a Bachelor of Science from MIT in Systems Neuroscience. She has specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. She is a certified KRI Kundalini Yoga teacher and a mother of two. Dr. Kelly Brogan, thank you so much for joining me on The Art of Humanity. Pleasure to be here. Dr. Kelly Brogan, I am so lit up and inspired by your work in the world because you are a courageous voice today and your work defies all of the dogma that we have been indoctrinated with around what illness is and you're properly equipped to fight within the system because you can Mm -hmm. fight any claim with 20 more papers that may not be what the mainstream is quoting, but I love bringing on people like yourself on my podcast who are strong, courageous voices, not afraid to speak your truth. I've interviewed Dr. Jack Cruz on episode 59, who talks a lot about optimal health. He's also a brilliant neuroscientist and uh, neurosurgeon. And you, along with Dr. Jack, are one of the rare few doctors out there who are railing against the system of allopathic medicine. And there's really a unifying thread at play here. And our humanity is slowly waking up to the fact that much of the quote-unquote story we've bought into doesn't serve our sovereignty. So I would love for you to explain a little bit about the importance of our own sovereignty and as we go through this interview today, what it means to kind of own yourself, to claim sovereignty over your experience to any authority outside of yourself, because you yourself had such a unique experience with your own personal transformation. Why don't we start there? Because that is such a huge transformational element that's really at play right now in the world. So let's maybe start a bit about your own personal story and what led you to be such a courageous voice today. Yeah, I mean, I've encountered that word many times in the past 10 or so years, courageous, and it it just never resonates with me, I have to say, because those of us who are called to speak out in a public way we do it because we can't not. It's not like I wake up in the morning and I'm like pulling on my boots and thinking, do I have what it takes to speak my truth today? For me, it is an irrepressible, almost compulsion. And it's so much so that I've had to work on that and heal that and examine the shadow of that because I have the unique, well, it's somewhat unique, I think, experience of having occupied booth camps. So I was not born some sort of bohemian earth mama, you know, who is sensitive to natural rhythms of the human experience at all. I was fully indoctrinated. And if anyone has immigrant parents, you know that we are second generation kids are particularly susceptible, I think, to idealizing, uh, deifying and otherwise pedestalizing authorities, including doctors. And I was raised to focus on education and getting straight A's. And it wasn't until I had an encounter with the medical system myself, which was actually after my fellowship, where I specialized in prescribing to pregnant and breastfeeding women. That's how much I believed in the pharmaceutical model of symptom management, that I thought there's no better way, perhaps, than to prescribe lithium, Haldol, Clonopin, Seroquel, Prozac, Effexor 
to women who are expecting or who've just given birth and are, are nursing. And I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis uh, about nine months postpartum. Just on a routine physical, although I had a laundry list of symptoms that were chalked up to new motherhood. And I had this experience of encountering a voice I had repressed once before when I was pregnant and prescribing to a pregnant woman. And I thought to myself, right, this voice arose that said, I would never want to take this medication as a pregnant woman. I don't care about the 25,000 cases in the primary literature that I'm leveraging to help support her decision to do so. And I thought, well, that's inconvenient. (laughs) You know, I was going to ignore that. And it wasn't until this autoimmune diagnosis that that same voice percolated to the surface. And I thought, well, I don't want to take a prescription for the rest of my life. And plus, I know that women never feel well ever again. They never reclaim what it is that seemingly was lost to this initial diagnosis. And so I uncharacteristically went to seek out alternative medicine, which I had not only personally derided, (laughs) but I was trained to dismiss and judge as quackery and all the things, of course, now I'm called in the poetic justice of it all. So I was such an extreme allopath that now I have the experience of inhabiting the other pole. And I know that we can drag with us across the party lines, so to speak, a lot of our unexamined stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And as an activist, I will tell you that every activist, particularly those on the front lines of very controversial issues like health and medicine, We do this because it makes us feel safer in the world, right? It's not because necessarily we're philanthropists or some kinds of specially holy people. And part of the reason that it feels safer in the world to fight the man or fight the power that is seemingly stepping like a boot on our face is because we project these childhood issues onto the world stage. And so if you're not doing that work, particularly as an activist, and I know I only started doing this work about six or so years ago, wow, and very intensively, I would even say in the past two and a half years, and you know, I'm in my early 40s. Your answer started with you don't see yourself as being courageous because you see it as no other way, which I completely relate to. I'm not a doctor at all, but as someone who has walked a similar path as you and someone that has gotten diagnosed years ago in my 20s with depression and who kind of fought my way out of that system through my own personal landscape of sovereignty of owning myself. I really love that you say that you don't think you're courageous because I feel the same way. I mean, we do totally different work in the world, but I feel like in a way it's part of my dharma and my activism to bring people like you on who have I would have loved to have known (laughs) when I was starting my journey so many years ago, because I mean, there's not many people out there that talk about this, the intersection and the thread between spirituality and healing and wellness. So can you just share a little bit more about your journey and how doing that trauma work and going kind of deep within ourselves has led to these insights and kind of the opportunity to examine what is not working in the world and how we can create a better, more just world. Yeah. So I think that, as I referenced, I do believe that activism without shadow work is just the perpetuation of that which you're fighting. And so this shadow work concept is really easily accessed when you just survey the terrain of your upset. 
So a lot of what I talk about and teach has to do with the reclamation of power, right? And so where are we giving away our power? It could be your addiction to coffee or gluten or sugar, or it could be to a particular relationship, or it could be to the way that you have codependent dynamics with your boss or, you know, there are myriad ways, including the psychology that we willingly engage and particularly around our own embodiment. So do you believe that somebody knows better than you about your own body? That would be a very natural belief, especially if you were born and raised in a Western nation. But that is part of the undoing. It's part of the reclamation to see that holding that belief, especially when your limbic system is activated and you feel afraid and those programs come online and you have not yet cultivated the witness consciousness to hold that equanimity of observation while your child self is reaching for the quickest band-aid. If you haven't done that work, then it's very easy to spiral around in patterns of re-encountering the same emotional experiences that reflect to you the unmetabolized traumas from your childhood. And so the easiest way for us to enter into this work when we're ready, because you cannot begin one second before you're ready, and it's this very elusive reality. What is readiness? I don't know. I've asked myself, I've talked about it with my colleagues and my team ad nauseum to try and understand that it cannot be coerced, it cannot be inspired, it can't be induced. So you're just ready when you're ready. And it's like my husband Sayer always mentions this Navajo proverb that you cannot wake someone who is pretending to be asleep, that there is no intervening on the level of consciousness or awareness, let alone intellect, when someone is not ready. So when you are, then you kind of take a look at the things that upset you. You know, the things that have an emotional charge. And it can be anything from the way your spouse like chews his breakfast to an email that you get at 2 p.m. from your mom, or the fact that your daughter doesn't want to go to sleep when you want her to go to sleep. You know, so anything that brings uh, intense emotion and that emotion can also be positive, right? So it can also be intense enthusiasm or excitement, passion. And just kind of develop a relationship of observation to those moments, like noting it, right? So just beginning to know, okay, something there, something there, something there. And eventually, as you become more and more ready, you'll begin to dig and you'll begin to find literally pieces of yourself under the mud (laughs) as you begin to dig. And these pieces of yourself hold your wound. They hold those hurt places the ways in which we were conditionally or insufficiently loved, protected as children. And the trouble is that we're walking around as adults, pretending like we've got it all on lock. And in truth, we're just literally toddlers in costume. And that's why we are running these childlike programs as adults. That's why we are in black and white psychology. Black and white psychology is the psychology of the child. You're either good or you're bad. (laughs) You know, Mm. a germ is bad and it's going to come kill me and I have to hide. It's this primitive thought process that served us at one point when we were navigating what we imagined to be, or perhaps what actually was, our survival on this plane before we were, let's say, seven or eight years old. But as adults, we have actually minimal opportunity unfortunately, because we don't have culturally sanctioned or upheld initiation rituals from adolescence to adulthood. 
So minimal opportunity, often for women, it comes in the form of the opportunity to have a natural childbirth, right? For men, unfortunately, it's dwindling, which is probably why we see so many injured and traumatized men at the helm in our world today, using mechanism of control and dominance in order to generate an experience of safety for themselves in their own lives that, of course, impacts the lives of many others. Mm. But the adult psychology is what's called the mixed psychology, where you can hold the good and the bad simultaneously, where somebody can be both heinous and beautiful, right? And where you yourself have come into contact with all of the parts of you, including those parts, be they shameful or be they brilliant, that you were taught to hide. And that totality is an experience of balance that allows us to navigate the world without attachment to controlling outcomes. It allows us to navigate the world with, as I said earlier, a kind of freedom that requires nothing change in order for us to feel simply okay. And that's the kind of process that, you know, it's not for everyone. It's really literally not for everyone. And that's okay. Not everybody came here, I believe in reincarnation, and not everybody came here this time around to do this work. Some people already did it. Some people may not do it for some considerable lifetimes. And that's also fine. How do we co-inhabit this planet feeling individuated and individual while also feeling connected? We normally can only feel connection through merger, right? We are one. We have the same ideas. We are otherwise indistinguishable. And merger is not anything but a childlike experience of a certain kind of primitive connection. It's not the adult version that we're ultimately capable of. And we're trying to navigate in this current moment as we defy social engineering and psychological operations that seek to divide us into the othering mechanism of primitive psychology the division-associated compartmentalization. You're over there. I'm over here. That must mean you're bad and I am good. And mm -hmm. this is really, I think, on a collective level, what we are being invited toward. It's not as simple as the mainstream media would have you believe. We are collectively being initiated to our own adult consciousness or whatever we can grasp of it. And it involves the death of the former self and all of those secure points of identity. We thought, okay, now here's who I am. I'm a woman. I'm a feminist. I'm an activist. I'm a doctor. I'm a writer. I'm a lover, whatever it is. And who are you if you get to associate with none of those things? And what about if you are the opposite, what you thought? It can come in so many ways. I mean, I was somebody literally a year ago, if you asked me if I wanted a pet, let alone if I liked pets, I would have not only had a definitive no, but I would have told you specifically, I think cats are like pretty gross. And now I am the proud owner. <laughs> owner isn't even the word because they own me. The proud cohabitant to kittens that my family absolutely worships. And I'm comfortable with that, you know, where I just get to be somebody new whenever the spirit moves me. And I know that it doesn't limit my sense of who I truly am, which it would have even five or six years ago. It's ultimately such a liberating way of being, but it involves a charnel ground, traversing a charnel ground of a lot of terror, really, and pain. Oh, you said that so well. And there are so many different threads that I would love to open with that. What you just said, it's so profound, this work. And I think to the last point that you just made, I think we as a society need to normalize changing our opinions and becoming new people and evolving based on what we know now at this point in time. 
because we are not the same humans we were yesterday or the week before. And something that you mentioned earlier, which I freaking love, I mean, it's so beautifully said, you referenced activism without shadow work isn't activism. It's placating to the system. It's being a robot. It's going through life in this somnambulistic state where we are just repeating patterns and programs from our parents and our ancestors and being a people pleaser. And that's along the same lines as like you were saying, we are one, like we want to feel like we are unified, but we can't all be unified because those that are doing, I feel like in this point in time, this timeline we've entered, it's those who have done the shadow work and those who have not. Because I feel like the socially engineering that's happening right now is really waking us up quicker. And we can either wake up and realize that a lot of what we're seeing is a projection of our own psyche, right? or we can continue going on and being asleep. And I love that your husband had such a great line for that. You cannot wake someone who is pretending to sleep. And that's so profound. And I think a lot of times you don't even know you're sleeping and you might even hear it. Some people may even hear that. And I mean, my listeners are probably a little bit more awake than most, but you say that and it's like, oh, I'm awake. I'm alive. I have coffee in the mornings. I go through my day, but it's like there's so many layers to waking up that is like until you actually do the shadow work and you understand your own programming and why you're programmed, you don't even realize you're asleep. And that brings me like Krishna Moody says, it is no measure of a man to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And I love that quote too, because it introduces the fact that we live in a sick society and we cannot measure our sovereignty if we are well adjusted to all the pharmaceutical lies and stuff. And there's just so many, so many layers to what you have just said into your work in the world. And it's really waking up to the fact that we are all sold a story from a young age. And until we uncover that shadow work and do that hard, deep, terrifying work, as you described it, it is freaking terrifying. <laughs> we can expose new layers of our psyche every day. It never ends. I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit more about activism without shadow work isn't really activism and what we can do to wake up and to really go deeper into our own psyches to unleash our own sovereignty into the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's for those with programs of perfectionism or sort of the eldest child type A syndromes, it can feel as if the goal of healing and awakening is to get to a place where you are the Buddha, right? Where you are unperturbable, where you have totally fused with that witness consciousness that is impossible to shake. So you gaze upon reality with nothing but beaming love from your heart and you have this slight peaceful smile on your face and all is perfect within and without, right? I'm not so sure. Who knows what enlightenment actually is? I don't. But I'm not so sure that that's what we came here for. And if I were to guess from my vantage point what we came here for, or I'll speak for myself, what I came here for, I have a sense that it has more to do with emotional alchemy, with the experience of the transformation of emotions, right? And so in order to feel some emotions on the spectrum, whether it is joy or bliss or ecstasy or ex expansive emotions like that, I do believe that there must be intimacy with pain and rage and shame and grief, that these energies move from one to the other. And if you've ever had the opportunity, the strength or the courage to sit with an emotion without doing a single thing to fix it, 
just literally sitting down, not meditating and not breathing, just literally sitting your body down on the floor and feeling whatever you're overcome by without doing anything else. You might find, as I have, that on the other side, like within minutes, on the other side of an intense emotion, like rage or this feeling of panic is laughter. (laughs) Or you could have so many tears streaming down your face and suddenly feel like a cloud, you know, like you're floating. And this experience of processing these energies, I do believe is the mastery, right? So the mastery is not, in my opinion, from my perspective, getting to a place where you feel nothing and all is cool. Yes, that's an important practice, right? Getting to the cultivation of witness consciousness, getting to the place where I can be walking down the street and have somebody yell at me that I should have a mask on my face and I can access that never perturbed consciousness and allow whatever child self response and reactivity. So it's reactivity because I've seen it a million times, whatever feeling would come up in response, right? Allow that to churn and swirl and do its damn thing and then respond from alignment with that witness consciousness, right? From my wise mind. That's wonderful. That's a beautiful practice that requires, in my perspective, sending many, many, many comprehensive signals of safety to your nervous system through clean diet, through meditation, through detox, through connection, all of the elements of basic physical healing protocol and engagement with your own embodiment and the ritual of self-care. But ultimately, we came here to feel. And we're going to feel those old emotions, the ones that we're super familiar with. So for me, it would be like urgency and anxiety with a touch of agitation. (laughs) Like That's like a very familiar cocktail for me that I've been feeling since my childhood, right? I'm going to continue to feel that until I learn how to work with it as an alchemist, until I learn how to transform that into something new and wonderful. Who knows? It might be grief. I might discover that just beneath that is like tremendous well of sadness. And in fact, as I've done a lot of my child self-healing over the past couple of years, I cry every day. Ask Sayer. Every day. Every day. And it can be just poignancy. Or the other day, we were at a stoplight here in Miami. And this guy, he was like, I don't know, asking for money. And he had this little bucket of yellow flowers. And he's just like a middle-aged dude. I don't know what was going on with him. And he came over to our car. And I had made a commitment to myself that I was going to give more generously. Because from New York, and I think a lot of New Yorkers are somehow entrained to harden around homeless interactions. And if you have a couple coins or whatever, that's fine. But for the most part, a lot of us ignore homeless people on the streets. It's just so overwhelming. And we don't know what to do. And maybe I'm speaking for a small population. I don't know. But anyway, so I made this commitment to give more generously. So we gave him, I don't know what on the relative scale it is, but a decent amount of money. And he was really shocked, right? So he gave us a little flower and then he gave us another little flower. And he was just like kind of stumbling over himself to express thanks. And he went down and he looked in the car, I guess to thank me. And we made eye contact. And I literally burst into tears, not like a cartoon. It was literally like a cartoon, like spraying out of my eyeballs. I don't know if this has ever happened to me before. You know, it's one thing to tear up, but I literally get, like caught my breath bursting into tears. I was overcome by, I don't know if it was his feeling or my feeling, this existential confusion. 
that was between us. I don't know if it was his confusion or mine, like I said, but there is a feeling of loss of control, you know, that can come with the experience of an open heart that feels really uncomfortable. That was not a beautiful moment for me. I felt like a little kid. I just literally didn't know what was going on, even within my own self. And so when I say mastery, I mean that there is an experience of feeling charged, feeling triggered, whatever the word du jour is, feeling feelings that are patterned and working with creating space for them to alchemize and evolve. And that is how we learn how to be human. (laughs) You know, it's the experience of that allowing that I think is so important. There's a surrendering that comes from kind of knowing in the intellect that it's okay and it's safe. And it's once I think we've done it a few times, it's not as terrifying as the first experience as a type A perfectionist person who I identify a lot with your journey as well. And I've interviewed a lot of other quote unquote experts on this. Dr. Teresa Bullard, who has a PhD in physics, talks about how there's the art and science of alchemy, which makes us superhuman. I love that. Yeah. And it's these brilliant people who are really well-versed, just like you have that programming, that Western medicine, really deep, smart, brilliant people in the intellect. And they're all kind of saying the same thing from Dr. Teresa Bullard to Richard Rudd, who wrote The Gene Keys, who he talks about how we're evolving into a homo sanctus or a blessed human as the new genetic human vehicle and why we must have a new body to house its new frequencies. So I love that you address emotional alchemy because that is how we can have a new body, have these new human bodies to make us superhuman. And a huge part of that integration and the surrendering and knowing that it's going to be okay is the integration of the spiritual side of things, which a lot of the ancient mystics have addressed, but also the embodiment piece, which is still lacking in a lot of modern society. (laughs) Yes. Yes, this is really where the rubber meets the road for me. It's why I wrote Own Yourself, my last book. It's almost like an open letter to the spiritual community because I'd come across one too many spiritual talking heads or so-called gurus who the moment they have a physical symptom literally run to the emergency room. I could tell you eight stories like that off the top of my head. Run to the emergency room, run to their doctor. And where's the shadow work? You know, where is the translation of the embrace of the body as you, as an expression of you, and not as this separate entity that you are managing in some CAFO style stall (laughs) until you die? And I get it. And that's not meant to be as derisive as it sounds. I certainly get it having lived that way and been that person. And it comes from an understanding of the body as material and the segregation of the spirit from that space. So it's really the animism-based consciousness that says, no, everything has spirit. Everything has emergent qualities of beauty and aliveness. And your body is part of that everything. But more specifically, your body has the capacity to represent to you what it is that you wouldn't otherwise be able to bring to your own awareness. And its representations are invitations. And first it taps lightly and then it knocks a little harder. And eventually the cosmic two by four may hit your life in the form of a diagnosis. But to interact with the experience of symptoms or illness as a part of your human experience that you are electing, you're choosing. 
that's a suggestion that's gotten me in a lot of trouble because I have been criticized for many years now for being an ableist, actually, is the term that is used, which I actually believe that there's always a grain of truth, if not a large pile of truth in every criticism. So even my trolls have something that's potentially true to offer my awareness. And ableism is a suggestion that I can do something and I assume other people can do it. Well, that's actually true. I do. I do assume that there are actually no limits. And all you have to do is watch two minute YouTube of Qigong masters dissolving a tumor in real time, you know, to know that this isn't just my cult of belief, that when you can commandeer the experience of your body as you, you can alchemize those emotions that would otherwise send you running to outsource your agency to an authority that you have been indoctrinated to believe knows better than you. And you can simply learn about what it is that you need to optimize in order to be more you, right? So usually that begins with lifestyle choices, but it can also extend to relationships, purposeful living, your home of choice. And chiefly, when you're ready in this, what I refer to as a spiral path, when you're ready, it necessarily involves working with your child self, I believe and beginning to develop a dialogue with that part of you that was left by the side of the road because it was too burdensome to, you know, to take with you those pieces of yourself. And then you begin to see those pieces in others that you might have judged. And you can see the universal nature of this human experience, which is part of how we relume the connection through our individuation as, as separate adults. So powerful. And I love that you said that representation are invitations and it's all an invitation to explore our bodies and our inner psyches and understanding how our own inner compass can better navigate this new paradigm that we're just now uncovering. We're at the very beginning of this new paradigm where the ancient mystics referred to years ago, but we're all unraveling it and incorporating it into this new paradigm, which you are such a pioneer of. So I really commend you for your incredible work in the world. I won't call it courageous because it's brilliant. It's just incredible. And thank you so much for all that you do. Where can listeners go to find you online? Yeah. So I'm uh, over at kellybroganmd.com. I am making my way slowly but surely off of Facebook and Instagram. I'm on MeWe. It feels good. Actually, feels really good despite having invested a lot of energy into connecting in those platforms. The censorship waves that are forthcoming and I've already personally experienced pretty extensively. It's like demanding that I be able to play my games in like little Tommy's sandbox, you know, like it just doesn't work that way. You know, we play Tommy's games in Tommy's sandbox. And so I have a Telegram channel, Kelly Brogan MD, and I'm on MeWe. But really, the best way is through my newsletter. And I will also just, again, challenge the fact that I may or may not be a pioneer to just offer this word that I love. It's a Greek word, and it's anamnesia, which to my understanding, not being a native speaker, means the remembrance of something once known. And I think that that's the process that I've been engaging myself is to just remember what it is that somehow, somewhere, I already knew. And that's what the awakening process can feel like, I think, for all of us. And why when we connect, you know, with each other around these principles, 
of reclamation, it can feel so good because we know that process of remembering. We know what it is to open to that knowing instead of shutting our eyes and and hiding under the covers or worse, like in the corner of the closet (laughs) because it feels unfamiliar at first. So I think that a lot of people can probably relate to that sensation. And it's a beautiful one that hopefully more and more of us will embrace. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing where you hang out online. And I love that expression that you just mentioned. Yeah, I think it's another important thing to address the fact that you're moving to Telegram because media censorship is real, that these ideas are not liked by the mainstream. So I will go find you over there. I'll link to your Telegram and MeWe channel in the show notes to this episode. Is there anything else you'd love to share? No, it was wonderful speaking to you. 